Well, a blessed good morning to all of you. I hope uh, you're enjoying this Lord's Day so far. Some of you, it's not morning and you're tuning in a little later in the afternoon and that's fine. We're glad to welcome you as well. Today, we're going to finish our final Psalm as we've been doing a brief series on uh, the Psalms for such a time as this. And I hope that you've been encouraged and that you're learning, memorizing, singing the Psalms. What a blessing it is that God's given us this sweet book of Psalms to encourage us in our journey. So this morning, our final Psalm that we're gonna look at is Psalm 27. If you wanna take your Bible and turn there, we're going to walk through this Psalm with David. And one of the things that you'll often hear Pastor John or myself or any of our teachers say is if you can get any historical background, it's always helpful to kind of get a sense of what was going on in the, the author's mind. <clears throat> As you all know, David built in Jerusalem a wonderful house that he dwelt in, but the place where God dwelt was still the tabernacle. He had not... Um, been given permission by God to build the actual temple. The tabernacle was the place of worship. But David apparently really enjoyed being at the, the tabernacle. That was his favorite spot in life. That was his getaway. And he shares that with us. And, you know, it's interesting because in this time where we haven't been able to come to church, a number of you have expressed how much you miss being in church. And we certainly miss it as well. But this psalm, as you know, David was also a man of battle. As a king, he frequently was out on the road, either defending his kingdom or expanding his kingdom. And in this case, it appears that David may have been um, away from Jerusalem and either because he was on a battle or more likely, this may have been one of those times when he was forced to flee from Jerusalem. You do remember that his own son, Absalom, tried to uh, establish a coup and sort of ran him out on a rail. And so David, uh, on more than one occasion, was away from Jerusalem, running from Absalom or also running from Saul. But one of the things that David does is he shares his heart as he experiences some of these dangerous times in his life I do want to remind you that the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. There was something special about David that God had worked grace in his life that he becomes for us such a wonderful example. Certainly not a, a perfect man, but an honest man and a man that you and I can benefit from and certainly say, hey, I want to be like David. And so as we look at Psalm 27, we're going to assume that David is right now um, unable to be in Jerusalem, but he really misses it and he wants to be there because he wants to be in the house of the Lord or he wants to be around believers. He wants to be um, worshiping and offering sacrifices to the Lord. So there's four things we're going to see this morning. First, we're going to look at his confidence in God's protection. Frequently, David had many enemies. Secondly, we're going to see his desire for God's communion. He had a real passion to spend time with God. Third, we learn a little bit about his prayer life as David prays for mercy, and then he prays for direction, and then he finally prays for protection. And then lastly, after looking at his prayer, we're gonna see his final testimony 
in which he shares his faith and then challenges us to trust and have faith in God in our difficult circumstances. So let's start with the first three verses where David's going to share his confidence in God's protection. So join with me as we look at verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And again, Hebrew poetry often is parallel. The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? So let's start with this idea of the Lord being his light. You know, that, that's an interesting way to describe God because the Bible actually says God is light. First John 1 says God is light and in him there was, there's no darkness at all. But, but what do you think David means when he says God is my light? I think there's a couple things. Um, certainly David understood that that light brings joy. Um, there's something about being in darkness that's scary and lonely, but, but light and life and joy are certainly um, associated, as well as the fact that that light gives us direction. It's kind of a cool thing to think about that the Bible actually says that God dwells in unapproachable light, which no man can see. And in the book of Revelation, we learn that there will be a day that there shall no longer be any night and they won't have the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God shall illumine them. So just think about God as your light. What does that look like? Now, right now you may be going through a difficult time and feeling like, well, that's the last way I look at God as, is my light. I feel like I'm in darkness. Well, I like what Micah said once. He said, don't rejoice over me, my enemy, Micah 7, 8. He says, though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. So even if you're not feeling God's light, just remember that he is your light. But he also, as David says, is my salvation. The Lord is my salvation. He's my, my deliverer. And for us as Christians, reading this through the lens of Christ, what a wonderful thing to, to just think of. Um, the very name Jesus means Jehovah saves. And we're reminded that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I, I was talking to a man this week, and he was sharing some of his guilt and how he feels guilty and feels bad about his sin of guilt. And I suggested that maybe his guilt wasn't sin, but that his guilt was due to his sin and that Christ wanted to be his salvation. So those of you who have the assurance of your salvation, just rejoice in that. Think of God as your very personal salvation. And if you don't have assurance of that, that's what we're here to, to do. We're, we're here to teach you the Bible because the Bible says these things have been written so that you might know that you have eternal life. What a sweet blessing it is to have assurance of your salvation. As a result of that, David says, well, if the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Now, on the one hand, there's kind of two things that come to my mind. First is, well, man, David, you should be afraid of your enemies. You should be afraid of people in your past like Goliath. There's a lot of people that want to kill you. But David recognizes that that to fear man is is, is so silly. There's Really nothing to fear in man. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah, why do you fear man in whose, whose nostrils is mere breath? It's kind of like God's laughing at the frailty of humanity. You don't need to be afraid of people. David said in Psalm 3, I wouldn't be afraid of thousands of people who set themselves against me. 
In fact, in verse 2, he said, when evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. So from a human standpoint, David's like, you know, I'm not worried about man. Verse 3, he says, though a host or an army and camp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. I just recently watched a, a documentary on Ulysses Grant, and it was very interesting because there were a number of times when he was right in the thick of battle. There were cannons and muskets and gunfire going on all around him or just within range, and he would sit in his tent and, and plod away. So it was a very interesting uh, documentary, but I pictured David um, being told by maybe one of his um, runners or assistants, hey, uh, the Philistines have a thousand people out there. And David just sitting back and just taking another bite and having a, a drink of water and just saying, well, I, I'm not really concerned about this. In spite of this, I shall be confident. Now, that word confident has the idea of trusting. So one thing I want to add, though, is that there's two other things that we, we could potentially be afraid of. People, of course. But what about the devil? I mean, the devil's real, and the powers of darkness are, are very, um, very strong. And yet, remember, because the Lord is our salvation, we don't, we don't need to fear Satan. Hebrews chapter 2 says he holds unbelievers in the fear of death. And, and we learn that Satan's a roaring lion. Lions roar because they want you to be afraid. But the concept of of being afraid of him, that, that's his, his MO, is to try to strike fear, to try to get the hair on your neck to stand up. But, but remember, because the Lord is for you, who can be against you? Who can bring a charge against us? We belong to Christ. We're forgiven. And um, the other thing that sometimes people fear is God. They're like, well, I'm terrified of God. There's a lot of people that are, are very frightened that their position with God isn't safe. And there's a certain sense in which that's, that's necessary at times. Jesus said, don't fear him who can put the, kill your body, but fear him who can kill your body and then put your soul in hell. But could I remind you as we read this that because you have the Lord in your life, if you're a Christian, you don't need to be afraid of the powers of darkness. You don't need to be afraid of what man can do to you. You don't need to be afraid of not having enough money or getting sick and dying. You have the Lord and he's your salvation. And if God be for us, who can be against us? And so David shares with us his, his confidence. But, but now let's, let's look secondly at David's desire for communion with God. This is kind of fun. This is challenging, but we kind of see what's really important to David. Look with me in verse four. He says, one thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek. You, you all are familiar with the the many jokes with genies who come along and say, I will grant you three wishes. Suppose God only gave you one wish. Kind of like when he asked Solomon, what would you like? He says, one thing I've asked from the Lord. And it wasn't just something that he asked for. He said that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Wow, what, what an interesting thing. David says, there's one thing that I long for more than anything else. Charles Spurgeon once said, divided aims tend to distraction and disappointment. 
but the man of one pursuit is successful. David had a single-minded devotion on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what we're told to do, to fix our eyes on Jesus each day and to set our affections on things above. But, you know, David didn't do this out of duty. Those of you who have read any of John Piper recognize that John Piper is all about loving God and serving him out of delight. And so notice what David longs for is to be with the Lord, to have communion with God, so that, he says, so I can behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. You know, that really struck me. What exactly did he have in mind when he said, I love to be in God's tabernacle and tent because I behold his beauty. What was it that he saw in Psalm 26? He said, Lord, I love the habitation of your house. He says, it's the place where your glory dwells. And so perhaps there were times where the, the presence of God was so real to him that, that it was as though the glory of God was overtaking him. It kind of reminds me of what Jesus said to Martha and Mary. He said to Mary, you know, there's only a few things necessary, Martha, or to Martha. He says, only a few things necessary, really one. Mary's chosen the good part. And that good part was to sit at the feet of Jesus. And so if you've kind of lost your way and you don't really desire to be with the Lord, ask the Lord to, to change your heart and to refresh you and to, to give you a desire. He says, I wanted to behold the beauty of the Lord. You know, when we spend time with Jesus, this is how we, this is how we behold his, his presence in our lives. In fact, Paul described it in 2 Corinthians 3. He said, we all with an unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and we're transformed into that same image. And so David just longed for, for the presence of God. He longed to, to be alone with God. It reminds me of the old hymn, take time to be holy, speak off with the Lord spend much time in secret and keep in his word by looking to jesus like him you'll be and your friends in your conduct his likeness will see but you know there's another thing that david longed for in his communion with god not just to to behold his beauty but but the new american standard says to meditate in his temple but more likely um the hebrew word here and some of the other translations say to inquire to inquire in his temple. David loved to be with God. He said, a day in his courts is better than a thousand outside. As he observed the priests, he said, how blessed are those who dwell in your house, they're ever praising you. As he thought about what it would be like to be a Levitical priest, he said, how blessed are those that you choose to bring near and dwell in your courts. But one of the things David did is when he, when he got with God, he wanted to inquire of the Lord. And, and that's kind of cool. As you, as you meet with Jesus, and as I meet with him, I'm not just praising him, and I'm not just asking him for things, but I'm, I'm inquiring for guidance. You know, this was a, a pattern in David's life. In 1 Samuel 30, it says, David inquired of the Lord, shall I, shall I pursue this band? And the Lord said, yes, go and overtake them. Um, another time when there was a famine, it says David sought the presence of the Lord. And yet we learn of Saul that Saul did not inquire of the Lord. And so I want to encourage you that sometimes in all of our helter-skelter busyness, we forget to pray about things. We forget to spend time just asking God, would you show me and direct me? Give me wisdom. There's a lot of choices in life. 
that aren't black and white, but we need to pray about it. Pray Colossians 1.9 that God will give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. We pray that, that, that we may please him in all respect as we make decisions. So not only was it David's request, but it was also his pursuit. He said, one thing I've asked from the Lord, and I'm going to seek it. Um, remember that, that um, holy desires have to be followed up with, with resolute actions. It's easy to talk about seeking the Lord. It's easy to say, you know, I, um, I wish I could do that more. Brother Spurgeon in his Treasure of David said, wishing never fills a sack. And he said, wishers and would-beers are never good housekeepers. So desire, he said, is like a seed, but it has to be sown in the good soil of activity. So I want to remind you, especially as we're able to regather, I want to encourage you to, to, to seek God both personally and corporately. We're going to be talking about the necessity of the gathered church in the near future. And I really want to, to exhort you to recognize how important that is. Um, we, we need to gather with other godly people. I was talking to a, a waitress um, the other day when my wife and I were up at the vault having pizza, and um, she mentioned that she has an interest in Christianity, and she has started attending a Bible church, and um, she lives nearby here. So I invited her to attend our church, but I, she mentioned herself. She goes, boy, there's something about being with other Christians that really lifts you up. And so... As we gather together, we don't just gather as Christians to, to bring sinners to Christ, but we also gather together for, for seeking and inquiring of the Lord's direction as we raise our kids, as we make decisions, and as we try to be pleasing to the Lord. So David then says, since I'm seeking God and in his temple, verse 5, in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tent, in the secret place of his tent he will hide me he will lift me up on a rock my wife and i watched a a wonderful documentary on the underground railroad and it was it was a blessing to see people who would hide um, fleeing slaves to help them they would turn aside and say hey come in here and in the same way god should be our first go-to when we're in trouble because he'll hide us in his tent and he'll lift us up on a rock and he says, my head will be lifted up upon my enemies around me. And, and as we experience God's protection, we go, wow, thank you, Lord, for, for protecting me from evil and from the evil one and from that car accident or from that health um, scare. Then it says, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. And so let me encourage you. I, I know some of you may say, you know, I don't care much for singing, but I think it's important to realize that that singing is sort of the, the breath of the Christian. We're, we're told to sing for joy to God, to shout joyfully. Psalm 95 says, oh, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Serve the Lord with gladness, Psalm 100 says, and come before him with joyful singing. And so if you haven't experienced this, ask the Lord to say, Lord, would you, would you fill me with the Holy Spirit? I imagine most people I know, they like some music. They sing some songs. Maybe it's elevator songs or, or dentist office songs, but they sing something. So ask the Lord to, to give you a song 
as the Holy Spirit fills us, the Bible tells us that we can sing and make a melody in our heart. And I look forward to, to gathering together and having corporate worship where we're lifting our hands and we're, we're singing again. We're praising the Lord corporately. But that doesn't mean that you can't have praise songs at your house and teaching your children Christian songs and just singing with, with your heart to the Lord. And if you don't feel like it, ask him to, to revive your heart. When we get to heaven, we're going to sing a new song, Worthy is the Lamb. And the scripture says in Revelation 15, they sang the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God Almighty. So ask the Lord to give you a song. Well, the next thing we're going to look at is David's prayers. And as he shared his confidence in God and his desire for communion, now let's look at how he prays. He prays for mercy, first of all. Verse 7 says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Very, very passionate, not just like whispering, but I cry with my voice. This wasn't just an unspoken, this was, this was a heartfelt petition. What did he pray? He said, God, be gracious to me and answer me. And, and, and for him to say, be gracious to me, this, this Hebrew word has to do with God's mercy. He's, he's truly asking for God to extend mercy to him and to answer his prayer. And, and then he says this, when you said to me, seek my face, my heart said to you, thy face, O Lord, I shall seek. And I wonder, wonder how David connects this to his prayer. When exactly did, did God say to David, seek my face? Is this perhaps um, David describing the way he viewed his conversion, that, that he realized that God called him to himself? You know, I think the Lord does that. I think he works in, in man's heart, drawing them to himself because people are dead in their sins. So David's response when he says, my heart said to thee, thy face, O Lord, I shall seek. If this indeed is, is analyzed from the perspective of conversion, then you could say it this way, God took the first step. God calls us as we read in Romans 8 through the gospel, but then we respond in faith, but we recognize that even that response, the fact that David says, my heart responded, thy face I will seek, we know that's a work of grace. From start to finish, salvation is from the Lord. Philippians 1 says, he began a good work in us. And so if it's his conversion, then rejoice with me that God called you and said, seek the face of Jesus. And then the spirit enabled you, he quickened you, and you, you sought Jesus and you found him. But also we're called to continue to, to seek the Lord. I think sometimes we forget that the Bible says God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And maybe this hasn't been on your radar lately to, to seek the Lord, that you've kind of been casual about it. And so I would encourage you, Jeremiah 29 says, you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. And more and more we're, we're so busy that we've lost the art of just seeking the presence, the face of God, the blessing of God, the the, the peace of God, the communion that God has for us. And so somehow I still see here David feeling the, the weight of his sinfulness. And this is an ongoing journey. We all realize, wow, I, I, don't, I don't deserve God's grace. 
So look what he says in verse 9. He says, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You know, um, what would it look like for God to hide his face? He had this sort of sense that um, it would be kind of like, you know, when, say, you texted a friend, and then you texted him again, and you texted him again, you said, it's really important, and, and they never responded. And you would start to, to, to sort of feel like, wow, what, what's going on? And so David's asking God, Lord, don't hide your face. Don't, don't ignore my text, quote, prayer. But instead, he says, don't turn away from your servant in anger. And as a Christian, I think it, it's safe for us to say, um, you know, I know, Lord, that you'll never take away my salvation. But think about Saul. In David's life, he, he, he saw, pardon my pun, he saw the Lord turn away from Saul. He saw the Lord remove his presence from Saul. And so it's a good thing to pray. God, be gracious to me. Be merciful to me. Lord, you know my sins. And, and I really ask that you would forgive me. So in the first part, he's, he's saying, Lord, don't, don't leave me with your presence. After all, he says, you've been my help. But then he says, don't abandon me or forsake me. That's one thing for God to hide his face for a moment. It's a second thing to, to think of God forsaking us. And so I want to remind you, if you're a Christian, God will never forsake you. He never forsakes his own. It, it is an immutable promise of God that those whom he calls to himself, he keeps. So you don't need to fear that God will permanently forsake you. You may feel forsaken, but you don't need to fear being forsaken. You are secure. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and, and I know them, and I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish. So take comfort in that. The Lord has been your help, and he will be your help. And then David says something interesting. He says, for my mother and father have forsaken me. Now, the way that this is... is um, written, it's possible to be translated, if my father and mother forsake me. From a historical standpoint, we really don't know um, that, that this happened. We don't know that David's parents have forsaken him, but we do know this. I know Christians whose parents have forsaken them for the very reason that they became a Christian. One of them is our own Celestin Musikara, and um, in the history of the church, there have been a number of people who, who the tenderness of their own family kicked them to the curb when they, when they accepted Christ. And, and maybe, you, maybe you've experienced this. Maybe it wasn't your mother and father forsaking you, but your family sort of wrote you off. Remember, Jesus, Jesus told us this. We shouldn't be surprised at this. Jesus told us in Matthew 10, he said, I didn't come to bring peace on the earth, but sometimes he said, I came to divide father and mother and and, and, and child and parent. And so while you might feel forsaken by your family, remember this, the Lord will take you up. So it's painful. And if you remember, I want to encourage you, if you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, you know, they kind of thought um, that he was going nuts as he pleaded with his family to flee from the city of destruction. But eventually he chose to follow Christ. And, and there's a cost to that. But remember the Lord will take you up. He's there for you. He's your father. Uh, those of you who truly have maybe lost a parent to death, remember you haven't lost your great heavenly father. 
So let's, let's continue to, to see here in David's prayer also how he looks to God for direction. He says, Lord, I've asked you for mercy and, and I've asked you for direction here. Look at, look at verse 11. He says, teach me thy way, O Lord. Teach me thy way. In other words, Lord, I need you to teach me how to walk with you. I need you to guide me in this journey. There's, it's dangerous. The Bible says through many dangers, or the songwriter said through many dangerous toils and snares, we have already come. Um, you know, but, but what I find striking about this is when he says, teach me your way, Lord, that not only does he need God to show him the map, but then he says, lead me in a level path. So, so he not only wants God to sort of show him the course of his life, but then give me strength and, and, and lead me, go with me. Don't just say, go along, but, but, but come with me. It's kind of like when Moses um, was leading the children of Israel through the, the, the barren wilderness. He said, Lord, if you don't go with me, you know, I don't want to go. And so remember that, brothers and sisters, that, that God is directing your life. And ask him, teach me, Lord, where, where do you want me to go to school? Where do you want me to work? How do you want me to, to do, how do you want me to respond in this situation? But then help me, lead me in the level path. And here's why, because you have an enemy, the foe, the devil. And so, so when he says, do not deliver me over to the desires of my adversaries, false witnesses has risen, have risen against me and such as breathe out violence. I think here he's reminding us that every Christian is in a battle. Now, in the Old Testament, often they're foes that that breathed out enemies or breathed out violence against them were, were humans. In fact, you know, it, it, it shouldn't go without notice that, that this was used of Saul. You know, Saul was breathing out threats against the early church. And, and it is true that our brothers and sisters in some um, persecuted cultures in the Middle East and China and so forth, they literally have people violently longing to hurt them. And that's, that's sort of how Satan works. Satan has his children. He has his canes who are jealous and bloodthirsty and evil, and they want to hurt us. But, but, but for us, I think more importantly, our prayer isn't, Lord, protect me from physical foes who are going to devour me, but from my spiritual foes. Remember, the Bible says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and, and dark forces. So on a regular basis, ask the Lord, Lord, I do this every day. I try to say, Lord, protect me from the evil one, from Satan. Protect my family. Help me to take up your armor. Give me strength, the word, the shield, the sword, the breastplate, the girdle. Shod my feet and, and help me to watch and pray. But in closing, the psalmist gives his own testimony. He says, look, I've, I've been around a while and, and I've gone through some tough times. And I've seen God's faithfulness. And it's really good to, to hear from others who have walked a long time with God. And so he closes with a testimony of his own faith and then a challenge for us to have faith. So he starts in verse 13. And you'll notice the first part of the verse in most Bibles is in italics. I would have despaired. Um, some Bibles just begin with this phrase. I believe that I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But you know, the, the, the word unless is here in, in the Hebrew. And, and so it almost feels like there's something missing. How, how do you start a sentence unless I had believed? And so many Bibles add some, some idea, I would have given up, I would have quit, I would have, I would have lost hope. 
unless I had believed. Unless I had believed. Unless I had put my trust in what? That two things. Number one, I would see the goodness of the Lord. What does he mean by that? That he would see the goodness of the Lord? Does it mean he's going to win the lottery? And No, but he, he believed that no matter what happens to him, that he's going to see Jesus one day, that he's going to be with God. As he said in Psalm 23, I'll dwell in the house forever, the house of the Lord forever. But you know, it's funny. He says, I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And you know, it, it, it interested me that right now we're living in the land of the dying, aren't we? This COVID virus is, is, is frightening. And, 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 and that's life in general. Uh, the, the world is cursed and people are dying on a regular basis. So my first inclination was to think, well, he's, he's just hoping to live longer. But maybe here what he's really talking about is heaven. I would have despaired unless I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But you see, that's, that's reality. We don't really ever live until we are with Jesus. And so we live in the land of the dying. But one day we'll be in the land of the living with our brothers and sisters who love the Lord, who know the Lord with nothing to fear. Won't that be great? We'll sit at the welcome table and, and all of our troubles will be behind us. So take courage that whatever's going on in your life, sing and pray and keep walking because every day, I was just talking to a dear saint in our church. He said, Tom, the older I get, the more I want to see Jesus, the more I want to see my father. Oh, what a delight to, to think about seeing God face to face. Remember Fanny Crosby, the blind lady, she said, when my life's work is over, she sang, I long to see my Savior, first of all. And so there's an encouragement. Maybe you're despairing today. You're like, I just can't take this anymore. But David gives his own testimony. I would have despaired just like you, but I believed. And you can believe, you can trust God that you're going to see the goodness of the Lord, if not in this life, in the land of the living. So then he gives us a final encouragement. And it's something none of us like to do, but it's something we all need to do. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Seeing is not believing, but believing leads to seeing. We have to wait. And that wait is that anxious, hopeful confidence. In fact, I love what Spurgeon says here. He goes, wait at his door with prayer. Wait at his feet with humility. Wait at his table with service. And wait at his window with expression. Expectancy. In fact, could I even say this? Wait with your eyes looking up for the return of the Lord. So don't give up. Don't turn to your sins. Don't throw away your marriage. Don't cut corners and, and fall into sin, but wait for the Lord. Notice, be strong. Let your heart take courage. We are weak people, but you know what? When God strengthens your heart, that whole body of ours is, is, is lifted up. Even though you might be frail and in pain, may God give you courage during this time to wait on the Lord. And if you don't have an assurance that the Lord is your salvation, again, my email will be coming up and you can email me and we can talk about it. Just this week, I had a wonderful conversation with a man who's seeking to, to have assurance and to come to know the Lord. So may God bless you as you're encouraged by David's wonderful prayer in Psalm 27. And we'll look forward to, to meeting again soon.